Alrighty, we are ready to get started today. How's everyone doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn. Thank you very much for tuning into the Focus Compounding Podcast. Sitting across the table from Mr. Jeffrey Gannon. Jeff, how's it going? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going fantastic. I'm very excited because we had spoken to Vetla in our last podcast, and we are going to be speaking to him again here today. Of course, this is the audio part of our business. If you do want to get access to our investment idea website, go to focuscompounding.com and be sure to sign up using the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and they'll take $10 off of the monthly price indefinitely as long as you stay a member. So You'll it's get, ever ever yeah. growing community and lots of fun. You get to read the write up of the stock we're gonna talk about today. You do and you get to read the write up of the stock that we talked about last episode. You got it. And I'm really excited to talk about this because it was actually one of the most um, talked about idea on our website. Yeah, this is the most ever it talked had, about. It had a lot of comments from a bunch of different members, so it definitely drew up a lot of interest. So who else to talk about other than the man himself that wrote about the idea? So Vetla, all the way from Norway, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. That is right. And it's that's and we're glad that we're glad to have you back, even though we just yeah. recorded the other podcast, but we're glad to have you back <laughs> here today. Let's pretend everyone we knows didn't. we pre record, so we're not we're not hiding anything here. <laughs> so you wrote about Entercom Communications. I did. Which is the second largest radio station owner in the United States. And right. you said that it, it trades at a, um, a lower EV to EBITDA than its debt-laden peers, which that was a great title, by the way. I think that drew a lot of yeah. people in. Uh, but yeah. so for people that don't know, and just a little bit of a background, the ticker that we're going to be referencing is ETM. Um, and then it was involved in a reverse Morris Trust uh, situation. So CBS spun off their CBS radio division and then merged it with Entercom Communications. And you wrote up the stock around $10.50 and it's currently trading at $7.85. Yeah, so maybe if you want to, uh, with that introduction or that preamble, you could sort of take it from there and tell us, I guess, what drew you to um, Entercom. Me personally, I didn't, I don't think I've, I came across that idea. Uh, but so like how'd that come up on your radar and then sort of um, go from there? Okay. So um, I got it from Clark Value Investing. He wrote a small piece about it right after the merger in last November. Um, and I was intrigued by what he wrote about it. So I decided to uh, look further into the case. And I, I really liked everything, most things about it. I like the business is easy to understand. Um, it was certainly at extremely low multiples. It has a lot of free cash flow. And the management seems honest and competent. And the founder... Um, uh, owns a lot of the stocks, and he's bought back. He's bought a lot of shares uh, over the past year or so. And the company's actually only had two CEOs over its whole lifetime, which is first the founder Joseph Field, and then his son David Field. So the management has basically dedicated their whole life to the business. And um, yeah, that's a, that's about it. But it's a very risky stock. It's a highly leveraged stock. And they acquired, you mentioned they acquired CBS Radio, which is three times larger than them. Yeah, and I think that's, is that what a lot of people are sort of worried about with Entercom and that along with radio, I guess, yeah. the general consensus well, of where it's going to be? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a huge, there are two huge risks risk here. That's uh, one, do they have too much debt? And two, is radio an out-of-date out uh, medium? Yeah, and and I think I would agree, Jeff and I too. I don't want to speak for you, Jeff, but everything that he said was what I guess drew us to the situation as well. That and the actual business itself is more of a capital light business. Mm -hmm. uh, he, yeah. he hit on that with extremely free cash flow generative. 
Um, so what do you, I mean, obviously the, the general consensus thinks about radio dying. And I think yes. that's what obviously the bear case would be for this company along with, um, you know, how, how much leverage it has. What is your general thoughts on radio? Is it dying to you? Do you think mm-hmm. that's something that is really more of a, um, it's more of a, uh, like a soundbite more than anything, or what are your general thoughts on that? Um, I personally do not think that radio is dying. Like a lot of people, they say um, it's dying because now we have Spotify. Who needs radio when we have Spotify? We got all the artists and all the songs in the world on our phones. Then why do we need radio? Um, but I think that is a false argument. Um, for instance, you, you don't get like this, the same sense of exploration when you listen to Spotify. You, you, you can get tired of even your own music. Like, for instance, my favorite part of, about Spotify is Discover Weekly, which is a part of it where you just get you get like 30 songs you never heard before. Um, um, so I, I guess the main reason why I like radio and why I think it will prevail is that you can just turn it on and you have a fresh stream of background noise that you can tune in that you can t- tune like in and out of. Like you make breakfast, you have radio on, you can listen to it if you want to. Um, there's a sense of choice in there that you don't get with Spotify. Um, and like people get tired of their own podcasts sometimes, which is why radio talk shows can be a better option. It's just comfortable to turn on the radio and listen to whatever is on there. And it's not like the rise of Spotify um, is the first time another medium or another way of listening to music threatens radio. Radio survived tapes, uh, turntables, CDs, then the iPod. Um, but now Spotify is going to end it all. I don't think so. At least not over the medium term. And a lot of, so, yeah. And a lot of the stations they own would be like, um, sports, uh, mm-hmm. local news format, weather, traffic, the, those sorts of things too. In addition to just that they're playing music. Oh yeah. It's not just music. Yeah. They got news channels, weather channels, and of course, sports channels, which are basically have a monopoly on in certain places. Like they have contracts with certain base with like all the major league teams, or some of them, so sports fans will tune in to their uh, team's radio channel and then listen to whatever is the recent new news um, within their team. Sure, so, yeah, and, yeah, sure. And they, you did also write about that they do own Radio.com. Can you speak to what that is for the people that yeah, aren't familiar? Yeah, the Radio.com is really just like an online news site for music news, basically. But it's not like it's not an asset for the company really it doesn't really bring in any revenue it's just like um i think it's just good marketing material for your investors to say hey we own this but i wouldn't i wouldn't say that radio.com is important in valuing the company and they also uh do podcasts right but that's they do yeah i think they're actually i think they're actually one of the biggest um uh podcast creators um in the world or in america do you think that's material to the company or not not really. Yeah. Not really. I think they're they're the second largest podcaster on the market, but it's they're not going to generate generate any revenue from that. Right. So radio is an advertiser supported medium. So what people are caring about most is sort of what the ad rates are and what people are buying, uh, what they're advertising locally on those stations. That's what drives revenue. Yes. Basically. Yes. And right. a lot of people fear that. Um, there's no need for advertisers to advertise on radio when you have the opportunity to advertise to like very, very, very specific people on stuff like Facebook and Instagram, basically digitally. 
but there are several companies that don't need to advertise to very very specific people like people in between the age of 22 and 27 there are males that like soccer or whatever mm-hmm. um like for instance procter and gamble um they create all sorts of stuff so they don't really need to advertise to they don't really need a target audience they can just advertise to whomever and procter and gamble actually deemed a hundred million dollar investment and in digital ads uh, ineffective. That's what they said. Largely ineffective. And they said they would uh, advertise more and more. That's a quote. More and more uh, into radio. So people um, or companies are actually going back to radio. They're, perhaps they've overestimated the efficiency of digital ads and they're underestimated the audience of radio. And now they might. And which is what Wall Street has done as well. They're like turn their backs on radio. Um, so it's like pe- so maybe radio will survive this um these headwinds. Mhm. But if there was a recession or something we would expect ad prices to drop for radio. Oh yeah, definitely. That's the first th- the first thing that companies will cut is advertising. Mm-hmm. Like you even you did the write up on Omnicom. Mm-hmm. So you've seen that firsthand with with Omnicom. Yeah, and so is that a concern when you com- when you add that up with their debt, it, you know, what would happen in a recession? It is. It is. They, they just bought. They they just uh, swallowed a company which is three times larger than themselves, and it's difficult. It's almost if, impossible to argue that this is like the beginning or the middle of a bull cycle. Mm-hmm. So they're putting a lot of risk on themselves here, and we might see a recession soon. Which uh, could which could be very bad for the company. What was the rationale for swallowing a company three times bigger than themselves? Um, CBS Radio uh, were not performing very well, and they believed they could turn it around, and they wanted to gain economics of scale. Yeah, so they're considered a much better operator than CBS. And radio, I think right? that's what it. Yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. CBS Radio underperformed just about any other radio company out there. And CBS probably thought that CBS Radio not under their umbrella could obviously probably do better, especially with Entercom, people that yeah. dedicated their whole lives to the business. Yeah, exactly. Like, And I know that uh, the founder, uh, Joseph Field, he, he was like a pioneer within the radio industry. He created Entercom um, then when FM was still like up and coming. He knew, he just saw that FM, FM broadcasting was better, was more efficient than AM. So he decided to start Entercom to help um, FM gain the audience more audience so it was actually it was founded in 1968 and it was not before 10 years later that more people listened to um to fm radio channels than am radio channels even though people knew that fm channels were uh better than am channels got it and you know we're sort of talking about obviously about also like the industry and stuff why do you think the peers of intercom have i mean by and large, actually failed, and and sort of how do you think about that and and the actual industry and what other people have done wrong? Yeah, so here's the scary part. The thing they did wrong was taking on a lot of debt and acquire <laughs> other radio companies. Which is exactly yeah. what it's like they're following the playbook. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So it so it really is like obviously the lever. I mean, I mean, it's I I could see being a company that you probably would lever up more because it's so capital light and it's a business that obviously is extremely free cash flow generous so you could look at it from that regard um but yeah i mean definitely 
uh, I know like iHeartMedia that they and you wrote about it as well that they filed for Chapter Eleven uh, bankruptcy as well, and they were levered to the hill. But the other radio companies um, took up way more debt than any company. Mm-hmm. For instance, iHeartMedia they took up twenty billion dollars, or they have a twenty billion dollar debt load. While Intercom has $1.8 billion. Which is like what you wrote, I think, like 12 times EBITDA or something like that. I mean, yes. sorry, debt to EBITDA, excuse me. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I said I must spoke. Yeah, debt to EBITDA. Yeah. So it's trading at like, it has an uh, a debt EBITDA of four times right now. Intercom. Yeah. yeah, so it's totally different. And and obviously, you, you, you talked about also... Um, and, and when you, I guess the testament to management's confidence in the business since the oh, stock yeah. falling from 10 to seven, I mean, it's definitely, um, noteworthy of, of the chairman buying up uh, of his personal money as well, uh, the yeah. stock outright. And it's just not, a, it's not just after the stock drop, this, the, after the drop, after the quarter one results, he's been steadily buying shares since May of 2017. And it's very interesting. It's very, it's very interesting because back then he owned a bit over one million shares of Enercom, and right now, including like his spouse and his trust, he owns thirteen million shares, wow. according to his most recent Form Four. Yeah, so he's steadily over the past year acquired uh, twelve million shares, and so, it's all in the open market. Okay, so I know you think he's honest and competent, but do you th- how optimistic do you think he is? Do you think he might be a little too optimistic about radio's future and what they can accomplish here? Uh, it's very possible that he is. I mean, he's he's old. He's a, he's an old guy, so mm-hmm. he's not the most reputable source for for telling like where radio is going from now. But it's certainly a good sign that someone uh, as high up in the intercom system or hierarchy as as the founder is buying that many shares. And the last time he bought shares in the open market was in 2010. And after he bought shares, the stock rose from $8 per share to $13 per share. So he has uh, his his stock his history is um, is reputable. Yeah, you have a chart of that a table of that in the write up about how successful his uh, past uh, purchases have been. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So how do you think the combined company is going to look now? Um, well, they're projected to uh, get synergies for $800 million just from the merger. Do you um, feel pretty comfortable in those projections? Sort of. I, I mean, I think you should take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, sure. But if you pull up, if you look at the, if you look at the investor deck, if you look at the presentation after the merger, then uh, you can... You can see kind of where they get. It's not like they're just they're throwing a number out there saying, okay, whatever, $100 million. They're actually saying like, okay, we're going to get $20 million from here, from cutting overhead or whatever. We're going to get $20 million from here and then $30 million from here. So they kind of walk you through the process of how they're going to gain those synergies. So uh, Andrew and I looked at this stock for our managed accounts, looking very preliminary uh, at it, considering it. And one thing that I looked at and, and said, kind of coming to a conclusion on it, is if you look at the last, as best I could tell, the last five years or so of CBS radio, if you take the trends that they were having at the station level and project them out, this company is not going to survive. But if you take the trends that the, um, the old intercom part had and project it, this is a home run. So it's really yeah. has a lot to do with the operations level at the at the station level. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So do you, I mean, I think they said that they fired quite a lot of station managers and made some other big changes. Yes. Right. They changed mm-hmm. format even for some of them. So they actually completely changed what the station's format is, what, what uh, programming it has. Yeah. Right. So Entercom, yeah, exactly. And Entercom has proved to be without a doubt the most efficient radio company in America. Like they bring in more revenue per station than any of their other competitors. Uh, and I'm talking way more like five or six times more in revenue per station than their closest competitors. And they also bring almost, I think almost two times more listeners per station than iHeartMedia. So I think that proves the competence of the management and how they're able to generate, to generate the most revenue and earnings from their stations. So if they manage to implement that strategy on CBS radio, which is a failing radio company, like you, like you're saying, this can be a home run. Mm-hmm. So do you have any ideas about how that's possible that they can get those results compared to other uh, radio station owners? Honestly, I'm not really, no, not really. It does. It's not like screaming in my face what the reason behind this is because mm-hmm. they're not really, they're not like, um, they're operating in the same uh, markets as their competitors and they have very similar stations as their competitors like snooze, sports, they have diversified stations. So, there's no obvious reason why um, that should be the case. And there's certainly no natural reason why Energom should be more efficient than their competitors. So I think that might might indicate that a lot of this efficiency is coming from the way they run the company. Right. But we just have to kind of trust that they know radio and that they're capable of doing that. We don't know what, what secrets they have in terms of mm-hmm. uh, how to drive station revenue so high. Yeah. And it's also, it's like, Entercom is a better business um, than their competitors all all over the place. They have higher EBITDA margins. They have EBITDA bar- margins averaging 25%, while its competitors are averaging like 15%, 20%. Mm-hmm. So they bring in more free cash flow. It just seems like they're getting they're doing everything better than their competitors. So if it's one company that, if it's one radio company that's able to acquire other radio businesses and then turn them around, it is Entercom. Yeah, and, and they've done this in no- the past too. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's pretty noteworthy too. You you had said earlier in the podcast that um, that there's only been two CEOs. The the CEOs or the current CEO is he's the son of the past CEO, correct? That's correct. Yeah, so I mean, you could kind of say that. Obviously, his his legacy, sort of, and his family's legacy lies on this, I guess, working out. So there's yeah. a huge incentive there for the business to be um, highly successful. Mm-hmm. And this is not like a crazy experiment from the son. It's not like something he's just trying to do. They have acquired other radio businesses in the past and acquired um tens of other radio stations in the past and then tried to turn them around or try to implement them those stations into the new business and then um, manage to outperform their competitors. So this is not the first time they're doing this. It's the first time they're doing this um, uh, where the company they're taking over is three times larger than themselves. But it's certainly not the first time that they're acquiring something that's bigger than the orig- than the old company. So have you read the book, The Outsiders? I haven't. Oh, okay. <laughs> About the... C- yeah, sure. Uh, just because it reminds me of this, this company reminds me of that uh, taking a lot of debt to take over a company like take over a company even bigger than them, um, and being the best operator. Who's it remind you of? 
Uh, it reminds me of several. It reminds me of a theater chain that they talked about yeah. there. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a couple. Um, because they're using debt, they, sure. they're buying a lot themselves, buying back stock. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so are you happy with their capital allocation? Um, you know, I'm torn about it. I'm not really super psyched about it. They've spent a lot of a lot of money on merging acquisitions that uh, it's not obvious that they have succeeded. Um, so right now they're planning on basically do a bit of everything when it comes to capital location. They'll pay a dividend yield, yielding 5%. They'll buy back 5% of their stock every year. They'll leverage down and they will increase their market share by acquiring other radio channels. Um, but this is a... Uh, high free cash flow company. They generate about 60 million in free cash flow annually prior to the merger. And while they spend most of that on paying down debt, uh, they will they will focus on doing a lot of other stuff in the future. They have authorized the $100 million stock repurchase program, and they expect to buy back 30 million worth of stock in 2018 alone. And then they will pay $40 million worth of dividends annually so that's a bit more than $100 million um, that will spend on paying down debt. And then the, comp- and the company will, will need $400 million to get to their leverage start of 2.5 times EBITDA. So they will pursue strategic acquisitions um, and they will pay down debt um, and they'll pay a dividend and they'll buy back stock. Okay, so but, you got everything in there. But if the stock price stays cheap and they ever need access mm-hmm. to uh, capital... Uh, then you yeah. tab the public markets. That can be a problem. So, so what's their debt situation in terms of how long out do they have it? Um, this debt. Um, so they have one point eight. Wait, what's your question here? Uh, well, the maturity is on the debt. So, how far out are we talking before they have to refinance things? Oh, I think that's in twenty twenty one. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. It's not right away. Okay. Um, but they did some refinance. They did some refinancing um, during prior to the merger. Which okay. is why they didn't generate much free cash flow in 2017, mm-hmm. or nothing. They generated nothing in 2017. So, so let's put this in perspective for people. So, what kind of um, let's compare the debt that they have right now to their market cap, basically. Okay. Uh, okay. So, what's their debt load? Uh, 1.8 million. And what's their market cap? Billion. 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 1.1 okay. billion. Okay. So they are going to rely on the fact that in a few years, I mean, for this stock to work out well, you do need them to be in a situation where they can um, borrow well in a few years, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do you see any risks why the market wouldn't be willing to lend the money in twenty in the early 2020s? Well, if they manage to generate as much free cash flow as they're promising, mm-hmm. then that shouldn't really be a problem. Okay. Because right now the executives are saying or – the CEO is saying that they have a free cash flow uh, in the high teens, or just said that when the stock was at ten dollars per share. Now right. it's at eight dollars per share, so that's a free cash flow yield. If they are not lying, that's a free cash flow yield of over twenty percent. So why do you think the stock went down after you wrote the uh, write-up? Well, they went down. Um, well, first, they probably went down on selling pressure. Wasn't it from, right after earnings, I think? Didn't earnings come out or well, something? Yeah. yeah. So first, they uh, around the merger, was trading at $12 per share. Then just slowly drifted down to $10 per share in May. Then they missed Q1 revenue numbers by about 10%, which sent the stock down 20% in one trading day, in one day. 
And then it basically fell every single day before uh, it bottomed at $6.30, like two weeks ago. And now it's up 25% from that, and it's now at $8 per share, or $7.90 per share. Yeah, it's been a volatile okay. stock for sure. Yeah, very volatile. If you pull out a chart, you'll have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you uh, when when they did those earnings calls, um, do they give any information on same station revenue or same station uh, audience numbers? Um, it was down about it was, I think it was down two percent. Same station revenues were down two percent. Okay, because I assume you know in the long run, what we care about is their audience numbers. Uh, same station, right? Mm-hmm. Because advertising stuff can be a little volatile. Right. Yes. Um, and are they on track with the synergies that they were expecting? Um, they said that they were actually ahead of, they were doing better than expected okay. in their earnings call. And uh, is this a stock also a heavily shorted stock or not? Is this what? Is this also heavily shorted or not? Oh, um, actually, it has, a, I think, about 5% of the float is held short. Okay. But if you go on like Yahoo Finance, it's going to look like 120% of it is held short. Because they're using the old shares of share count. Oh, okay, yeah, of course. But yeah, I th- I think it's in between five and ten percent, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a heavily shorted stock for sure, but it's not like GameStop heavily shorted. Okay, so who do you think selling? Do you think these are the former CBS Radio uh, shareholders? I mean, the former CBS CBS shareholders. That would that would make a lot of sense. Okay. Because CBS Radio were was remember remember CBS Radio was three times larger than Intercom, mm-hmm. so. The CBS radio shareholders would actually hold 70% of the Entercom stock. So that's why I said that, that would, the whole merger would put a lot of selling pressure on the stock. Because these shareholders did not buy Entercom. They did not buy Entercom the company. They bought into CBS radio and now they suddenly, have, now they suddenly own Entercom shares. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense for them to just try to get rid of their shares, especially after the stock has fallen from $12 per share yeah. when they got it. That probably just obviously increased the selling pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot of comments about this uh, write-up on Focus Compounding. Do you remember what some of the comments were about and what were, if any of them were interesting? Um, I got some interesting comments, but most of them were like, um, they were coming with their views on my... Um, on my write-up and they were basically like questioning okay how about this is this correct what if this happens and if there's a recession what will happen and um and a lot of them were asking for your guys's input Mm -hmm. on the stocks so do you guys you you ended up discussing this stock in person yes absolutely yeah i think did you come to some sort of a conclusion or we did i think we did say that this is a stock joel greenback would probably love right absolutely yeah. And I thought you, something you what? I said on the probabilities. I like I like it. Oh, um, because mm-hmm. I think that look on the downside, you can only lose uh, your loss is limited. You you don't have to lose what the bondholders lose. So yeah. your your loss is limited to what is the price that we're at now? Seven dollars eighty five cents. Right, and then what's the upside that you can have? I mean, and then what's lot. the probabilities of that? So I mean, if you could if you can make a hundred bets like this, I don't have a problem with it at all. I think the probabilities look good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we do what fifteen percent. That we put 16%. into 16 percent, we yeah. put into a normal position for us. You know, I, I don't know, 16 percent. That's a this is a for us, this is a very heavily leveraged company. Okay, yeah, yeah, well, yes, it is. So, this is sort of one of the most risky stuff. I think you actually said this is the most risky stock you'll possibly ever own. Yeah, you're not going to own a riskier stock than Intercom. I think that's true, and definitely in the sense of financial risk. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, 
definitely. So we discussed GameStop, and I think that the Entercom business is less uh, risky than GameStop. Yeah, absolutely. But financially, Entercom might be like GameStop actually has net cash. Sure. Entercom has a lot of debt. So financially, Entercom might very well be a more risky stock than GameStop, even though I think that the business uh, contains less risk than that of GameStop's business. No, I think that's a great point. And how did you think about valuing it potentially for Entercom? So I basically valued Entercom in a very conventional way, more conventional than I did with GameStop, using publicly listed competitors. Because they have a lot of competitors that are listed. And they're trading at an EV EBITDA in between the range of 7 times EBITDA and 12 times EBITDA. Uh, averaging 9.5 times. So you took a range, did you look at like past acquisitions or did you take a range of where they're currently trading today? No, where you're currently trading. Gotcha. And yeah, and I just, yeah, basically I projected what their EBITDA might be in 2018 and then, I didn't really project, I just um, took a more conservative version of the company's own projections of 2018 and 2020 EBITDA and then slashed a 9.5 times multiple on um, on that EBITDA figure. And then I also like assumed what their debt levels would be in 2020, assuming a 3.5 times leverage, which is what they're targeting. So you think they're gonna pay down some debt by then? Uh, yes, I do. Well, they will, yeah. that's their plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but for us, I mean, in general, just for listeners here, in general, if you're carrying more than three times debt to EBITDA that is a highly leveraged company. Yeah. Like for that to be your final target, um, mm -hmm. yeah. is that means that you intend to stay pretty highly uh, leveraged consistently, which isn't unusual for radio companies or for media companies generally. So um, why do you think if this company has the best operators, the best management, and has some of the lowest debt load, people are willing to pay more, uh, pay higher EV to EBITDA multiples for, for peers? Well, that's why this is an interesting case because okay. it's this seems like an obvious mispricing or mm -hmm. it seems like a mispricing so do you think it's the reverse morris trust is such a strange uh, way of of doing uh, this kind of deal could be a lot of factors that and then the with like he hit on the point of uh, cbs shareholders now owning this new Entercom stock and then the price falling and just I, you know i don't think we explain mm -hmm. what a reverse morris trust is do you want to explain okay. what a reverse morris trust is to listeners you can do it jeff Okay, so reverse Morris more. Trust okay. is uh, is a, it's a way of getting around a tax issue um, of selling basically selling a company without having to pay taxes on it. So uh, CBS Radio uh, gets rid of a business, which actually is the bigger part, uh, by spinning it off when really they're spinning it off into Entercom. So Entercom is really the acquire for economic purposes, but for these tax purposes, they get to treat it like they're spinning it off. But as a result, what that means, which you just said earlier, is that most of the shareholders are people who got this as basically a spinoff. Yeah, which probably could have created, I, I agree with him when he said that, um, it could have created selling pressure, especially in, you know, when the stock's falling 20% in a day or whatever. Yeah. And we sure. should point out reverse Morris Trust is pretty rare these days. Yeah, although we have mm -hmm. come across another we, one. We have is, come across it, but this is something that was much more common, um, uh, that, that was much more common almost 20, more than 20 years ago. Really? 80s through the early 90s or so, yeah. Wow. Um, so I, I'd say it's rare. Yeah. Do you remember what we came across that was a reverse Mars trust? It was, um, um, <laughs> okay. no, it was, it was staples and, uh, Oh, staple. Uh, oh no, no. Uh, ascendant. Ascendant. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was also planned as a reverse Mars trust. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what price did you think that it could be worth? I don't know if we actually hit on that. 
we didn't. I never got that there. So basically, I got like two different figures for uh, an enterprise value for 2018 and then 2020. Divided that figure by their 140 million shares outstanding. And I got a share price for 2018 of uh, about $18 per share and a 2020 share price of $22.5 per share. Yeah, so just a lot higher. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a huge upside. Sure. Mm-hmm. How would you think about, Jeff, sort of the, the odds and, I guess, pricing this? Yeah, I think about in terms of the odds. You know, what are the odds? So so we can do this. We can just calculate on the downside. It could go to zero. Yeah. All right. And then you assign some probability to that, but then you assign probability to how high it can go on the other side and see if that outweighs it, basically, right? Yeah. So if you're thinking about it and you look at it and you say, okay, well, I think it can triple or quadruple or something, right? Well, then you can think about how big the probability would have to be of a loss here. And I think that right now when you think about it, it's got to be – it's pricing in a very high probability, I'd say, of, of default here. Sure, yeah. yeah. Or at least of massive dilution for some reason or something. Mm-hmm. It has to be something like that to the equity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what do you think will happen eventually for the stock to go up? Do you think it's that you're going to see shareholders of other radio peers sell and buy into this because this is more attractive? Who, who will eventually this stock appeal to? Um, that's very possible. And once people see the free free cash flow that they're going to generate year in and year out and the dividend they're going to pay out and then that their leverage will continue to go down, I think that people will start to see the value behind this company. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty messy so looking f- right now, you'd say, the earnings it, calls? It's very, yes, very messy looking. And the 2017 numbers were also heavily... Um, uh, it's just a misleading picture of what the company looks like. I mean, it looks like it's money losing. It doesn't bring in any in, in free cash flow at all. So once people start to realize that this is a company that actually does generate a lot of cash with a competent management team, and once they realize that perhaps radio is not really dying after all, that's when you might start to see that uh, the stock price will increase again. So how do you feel having the stock go down 20% or so after you did the write-up and having people comment about that and ask you questions about it? <laughs> well, I hadn't bought shares, so I was happy. There <laughs> you happy, go. That's yeah. a great answer. Um, but so, but is the volatility something that attracts you to it or that worries you about it? How do you feel about that? Um, I don't really care. As mm-hmm. long as you hold for a long term, it shouldn't really matter that much. Because, well up until they're going to start buying back a lot of shares. <laughs> and we should mention because of the debt load that this isn't the market revaluing the whole company by 20% or something. This is revaluing the equity by that amount, which is, uh-huh. yeah. Yes. Um, so do you have anything else that you wanted to say about Entercom that we didn't cover? Well, we did not cover that the FCC are relaxing rules on the industry, but it's not that... Um, oh, that's true. They're getting looser, right? Yes, a lot looser than it's been since the 1970s. Okay. And at the time... Things were, you know, very different and in almost always like deep. Yeah. So basically the media market hasn't been this free and open since the 1970s. And at the time, FM stations was a new thing. So, I mean, right now, Intercom is probably too leveraged to require additional channels, um, at least right away. But so are their competitors. So it will be interesting to see if they will expand even more in the future as a result of this FCC ruling. Um, while their competitors are too busy dealing with bankruptcy. Yeah, that's a really interesting point to talk about because you would think for the economics of it, it makes sense for these companies, the, the biggest company, radio companies around, to uh, merge, to consolidate. Oh, yeah. But they mm-hmm. can't do it with cash. Right. I mean, they can't take on the debt. They can't take on more debt to buy each other with cash. Are we going to see all stock deals? Are we going to see someone else coming in to, to finance these things to consolidate them? Or do you think this means we're not going to see consolidation? Um, 
actually, right now, I think that they will stay as they are and will try to deal with their own problems and then eventually try to acquire other channels and start to, you know, try to create a monopoly within certain American markets. Mm -hmm. What do you think? That makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. So for for those who don't know, the FCC rules required um, uh, media cross ownership for different things at a time when most Americans in a local area were getting their news from if there if there was one newspaper, then most people were only getting their news from one newspaper if there was one uh, TV station. So there was a reason why they insisted on there being a variety of radio stations and TV stations that had different owners in a local area with the internet and some other things. Now it, that doesn't make as much sense. And that's what we're talking mm-hmm. about here. But so because of that, they were pretty fragmented in terms of how much you can own in each, uh, your, their local market share is never that huge, right? Yeah, no, exactly. They do not own, they actually, they can own more than, uh, 60% of all the radio channels in a specific market. And one market can be like San Francisco or mm-hmm. Dallas or Portland. So, um, but they're ending this. So what this basically means is that Intercom and other media companies, including TV companies, can own several radio channels within the same market, possibly opening up a door for local monopolies. Sure. Mm -hmm. The other thing to consider is there used to be more companies, I think, that had TV and radio than they do now. It's become popular to separate those out. Yeah, actually, yeah. You know Sinclair Broadcast Group? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Intercom bought a lot of, uh, they actually bought their radio channels back in the day in the 90s or something like that. Yeah, so this, this is an interesting one. How do you feel about, I mean, I don't know if you looked a lot of this, but how do you feel about the multiples and stuff that you see on local TV versus local radio? Well, I think that's that's a good question, actually. That's a good question. So I, I'd say that they have like um, a very similar future. People think that, you know, the streaming sites will take more market share from the TV channels and then more market share from the radio channels. Mm-hmm. Like cable TV is dying, radio is dying. It's like it's the same story here. Mm-hmm. But I, it doesn't seem like the TV channels are going through the same struggles that the radio channels are doing. Possibly because they haven't taken up as much debt. Yeah, that that seems likely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What well, you have any other thoughts for Vetlife? Oh, that was a really good discussion. Yeah, that was great. Thanks. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much for coming on. And obviously, everyone listening, uh, and we have said it, he's a regular contributor at Focus Compounding, and he always writes up really high-quality ideas and high-quality write-ups. And um, you know, thank you very much, Vela, for coming on. And where can people find you on Twitter if they want to go ahead and follow you? On at Vetle Forslan, or V-E-T-L-E-F-O-R-S-L-A-N-D. That's Perfect. my handle right Perfect. there. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Well, we want to thank you very much for coming on. We know it's late where you are. Uh, we, <laughs> Thanks for having we, me. We really appreciate you coming on. And of course, um, always contributing to the website and being an active member on there, and even with your comments and, and always um, giving some great insights. So we, we thank you very much for that. Yeah, it's my honor. Cool, man. Well, we want to thank everybody else for tuning in. We hope that you found this a productive uh, a podcast. It was a lot of fun, certainly for us, to talk about ideas that have been written up uh, from our members on the website and talk about them here publicly on the podcast. If you do want to get access to Jeff's weekly memo that he does send out, go to focuscompounding.com and on the homepage, you will see a spot to enter in your email. And then what that will do is allow you to receive a weekly memo from Jeff on Sunday um, every week. And it's, uh, it's uh, on an investing topic. 
Yes. Never on a stock button investing topic. Right. And if you want stock stuff, like you just heard today, this particular write-up, the write-up on GameStop, all that, you go to focuscompounding.com, you put in the promo code podcast. Podcast. P-O-D-C-A-S-T. That gets you $10 (laughs) off a month for the membership for all these write-ups. Perfect. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Vetla, thank you so much. Everybody else, have a great day. Take care.